Child Audiology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilak Saperstein, and this is a very interesting and special episode all about you, an interview with Jinkyu Lee, who is going to talk about her journey with hearing aids, cochlear implants, and also about multilingualism, multiculturalism, moving around the world. And I'm really excited to share this story with you and have Jinkyu share her experiences many parents and people who have a deaf or hard of hearing child in their life are in this all about audiology community and everyone should feel their story is represented in some way so lots and lots of different people have shared their story on the podcast and i invite you to do the same if you're interested in being a guest dm me on instagram and be in touch so that our community can continue to grow and help each other and support one another so welcome jinku how are you I'm good. Thank you. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here. So happy to be here. I mean, I wish there was a program like all about audiology. When I first knew I had hearing loss, one was 15. So with all this information, my hearing journey would have been a lot different. I would not have wasted like seven years before finding the right solution for me. And the transcripts, I mean... I'm sure you're putting a lot of efforts proofreading and correcting the transcripts. And for us with hearing loss, it's always such a delight to see a podcast with accurate transcripts. So thank you, oh. Dr. Lilac. Oh, thanks for mentioning that because it always is so important to be accessible. I'm trying to do something for a particular community of people. Of course, it would be my goal to do that. And yet, it's a big, like you said, effort and expense. So I'm grateful to the supporters of the podcast. If anyone wants to join our Patreon, this is a good time to mention that your support really helps for the production of the show. But I know that there's always more to do, like captioning on Instagram stories and making sure accessible alternate text. There's always more things I'm learning, but thanks for mentioning that. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. If you could start, where were you born and how did you grow up? My name is Xinke Liu. I was born in China. I had hearing loss when I was 15 years old. Now I'm a bilateral cochlear implant user. But before that, I used hearing aids for about seven years. And now I'm the co-founder of Orca. Uh, Orca is a hearing aid company. We design hearing aids, general purpose chips. So before the age of 15, did you have any problems with your hearing? Did anyone in the family have any suspicions? What was it like growing up? No one ever suspected that. I think it's kind of absurd because when I had my first hearing test at age 15, the Brazil came out and it was profoundly severe on one side and severe on the other side. So at that point, I should have went straight with cochlear implant, but I didn't. And I think me and my family just kind of ignored other signs because I wasn't struggle in school. I wasn't struggle making friends or anything. I thought I was just having attention deficiency problem. I remember that I used to talk to my friends and when they answer me, I started drifting away and then I would remind myself, okay, don't do this. Now pay attention. So I would ask my friends to repeat them. 
And I think it works. Like when they repeat them, when focus, I seem to understand them better. But now looking back, I know I was just compensating for my lip hearing loss with lip reading. Wow, that sounds so effortful, so exhausting. And I love for parents to listen to this and know that a lot of the behaviors that we see in children who are deaf or hard of hearing, they're attributed to the hearing loss, but we may not know that. So we see kids who are rude or ignoring you, not paying attention. And all of those behaviors, we're putting our interpretation of it, but really it could be they did it have access to the sound. They're not ignoring or being rude or not paying attention if they're not hearing that. And that's so hard for you to have dealt with. You were hard on yourself or you're not paying attention and all the things that you didn't even know you were missing. And then to say, oh, it was the hearing the whole time. So frustrating. Yeah. And I think the thing with lip reading is that maybe because I was a kid, so lip reading wasn't that exhausting for me. I mean, if you want me to lip reading now, I would definitely say no. But I was a kid. I didn't know what I was not hearing. And I guess it's also related to the Chinese language. It's because we have different accents, different dialects here in China. So the TV show always have captioning on. And the movies always come with captions. So. I never had trouble understanding these because we had different dialects. People already have problem understanding each other if they are not speaking the Mandarin. So I didn't suspect it was my problem. I just thought, oh, it's noisy. Oh, that's what happens to everyone else. Well, looking back, I know I was struggling, but then I didn't feel like I was struggling or it was frustrating at all i was just thinking why people have you know radio like i can't really hear that much from radio i don't think that's a efficient way of communicating information but now looking back i know oh yeah because i wasn't hearing what they were saying yeah so it was more normal for you you didn't realize that everyone else wasn't experiencing that as well yeah right i just didn't know I thought everybody was just like studying by themselves. So I didn't ask. I didn't know you were supposed to, you know, listen what the teachers have to say in class. Ah, so yeah, you you mentioned the word overcompensating before that you had so many other ways to do the things you were expected to do. So you studied from the book and you saw the captions. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. We did an episode a while back on something called universal design. And when there's more accessibility, it doesn't only help people who are disabled in a specific way, but it actually helps everybody. Like you're mentioning that there's always captioning on TV because of the language. That is not only helping people with hearing loss, but it's actually probably helpful everybody from the language aspect and also from not having to put so much effort into listening to the TV. So I'm going to link that episode about how When we use accessibility tools, if they're universal, that benefits the most amount of people, even people without the specific quote unquote issue that it could be helping. Yeah, actually, I took this class in universal design before when I was doing my master's program. I took a class called disability studies and the professor told us about this universal design and we visited a campus 
that was specialized in universal design in Berkeley, California. So I think it's great. And I also kind of envy the students of the COVID era because when they are doing the online courses, they always have the captions on. Yeah, in a lot of ways, there were a lot of advances in going online. I've heard people also say the fact that when you're in a class of 20 people, let's say, and everyone is in the screen equally, then that's more helpful than physically being in a room and having to look around and catch all the different conversations. So there's definitely some pros, even with a lot of the challenges that came with being online. So that's good that you noticed that. I'd like to ask you a little bit more about what happened after you got the hearing aids and did you start to notice the change of all the things you, you had been missing or what was that experience like for you? Actually, no. At first, I had this pair of hearing aid, and I think because the awareness for hearing loss in China was quite low then, and the audiology is not that advanced, so it's a small sector, and my first hearing aid wasn't powerful at all for me. I mean, the audiologist, I'm not even sure she's a licensed audiologist. Now I think about it, I think she's just a salesperson. So she prescribed this hearing aid for my left ear, which is my worst ear. So the hearing aid didn't work at all. And I thought, oh, that's what all hearing aids are like. So I stopped using them after a while because it wasn't working for me. But then I remember I paid a visit to a doctor in Beijing, the capital city of China, and the doctor mentioned something about cochlear implants, but I didn't know anything about cochlear implants then. And I remember coming out of his office, there was this salesperson in the hallway, and he was telling me about cochlear implants, but I thought this is so sketchy. No way I'm going to have a surgery because the salesperson told me in the hallway. So it's not really how I picture this boot girl. And that's just the story of it. And at that time, I was still in China. But after a while, I went to the United States for college. And it was that time I realized, oh, my hearing ability was so bad because I could not live free in foreign language. That was really hard for me. So it was only then I realized I can't really hear much. Wow. Very, very interesting to hear that the environment changes, the language spoken around you changes, and you're in college too, which in itself is a challenging environment, studying and classes. And that's when the difficulties arise for you. And also, I'm curious to hear, when that doctor mentioned cochlear implants, did you look online? Did you know anyone who had it? Were you interested in researching more? Or did you feel like, that's not for me because it felt salesy? I feel shame because I'm not that active in my hearing journey at first. I was quite passive because... I was back in China and then I thought I didn't have that much problem. So when the doctor mentioned something about cochlear implants, I just thought, okay, it's not for me, not just yet. I mean, he didn't push me to do it. So I thought, okay, maybe it's not that urgent to get the treatment. Somehow my parents didn't take it seriously. I didn't take it seriously. 
I just want to make sure that there's no shame coming from me. Everybody's journey is their own. And it seems like if the challenges that are usually associated with hearing loss were not a big detriment in your life, then it makes sense that you weren't totally motivated to dive in to figure out what to do about it if it wasn't such a big part of your world. I think this is actually a really important lesson for people to hear that sometimes we have these goals that we put on other people. As professionals, we do this, what we think people should do or how involved they should be. And for some people, that's not what their goals are, what they need. So I respect that a lot. And I definitely didn't mean to introduce any shame or hope that you don't have shame on what you did for yourself when you needed to at the time. Yeah, right. I used to think I get by. So my first experience with hearing aids wasn't great. So I just thought, yeah, I'll just rely on lip reading. And I thought I can still get by. Yeah. And the piece that the hearing aids weren't powerful enough, weren't fit properly. That's something that we also want to take into account. Just because someone gets the technology doesn't mean that it's doing what it's meant to do or fit properly for the person. So yeah, definitely making sure you Go to an audiologist that's trained, knows what they're doing and helping you if that's accessible. So that's an important point too. Right. That's why I really appreciate the hand-holding my second audiologist gave me. So after I started college in the States, as I said, I realized, oh, I wasn't really understanding what the professors were saying in every class. So I went to downtown and find this audiologist. Her name is Dr. Cohen. And Dr. Cohen, if you are listening to this, thank you so much. Dr. Cohen is an audiologist in upstate New York. And she helped me find the right hearings for me. And she also helped me set up all these accessories, uh, like the FM system and the compiler. I think that's what was taught. So the professor could talk through the microphone and I could hear the professor better in my hearings through a streamer. And then later, I don't remember what time, but at some point she suggested that hearings may not be powerful enough for me. So she wanted me to have cochlear implant surgery. She contacted this surgeon in Manhattan in Columbia University, and she booked an appointment for me. She even told me about like how my student insurance would cover the surgery. And then just, wow. yeah, I just did everything she told me to do. And then magic happened. The first time the audiologist activated my cochlear implant, I was like, what? After I left the audiologist's office, I took a taxi, and then suddenly I noticed the advertisements in the taxi that was playing, and I was thrilled. I started talking to the taxi driver about this magic thing that just happened, and I mean, if there were more information available when I first knew I had hearing loss, mm -hmm. it would be a lot different. I only had my first cochlear implant surgery right after college. So basically that four years when I was sitting in the classroom, I was mostly, you know, just drawing something on my notebook and pretending I'm listening. Hmm. Wow. So that was a big change for you. 
And you had both yeah. cochlear implants at the same surgery? You did bilateral at the same time? No, I had my first one in 2015. And then when I went to grad school in California, I had my second surgery and my student insurance also covered that one. So I'm quite lucky. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm curious to hear if there was ever a point in your journey after getting the cochlear implants that you felt regret or maybe grief about the years that you didn't have it, or if you were more open and understanding that that's the way life goes. <laughs> you know, I'm wondering if you had a journey around that or if your personality is more of accepting of what's going on. Well, I have to say, even though my personality is just more like accepting everything that happens to me, I did regret that I waited so long before having my first cochlear implant surgery because I was struggling then in college. I was a bit depressed. I didn't know by then, but I was mm. certainly depressed at school. And I thought I just didn't like go out, but that's not true. That's a fat lie I tell myself. So, you know, when you can't communicate with people and when you can't make new friends, I started telling myself some lies like reading, I prefer it this way. This is how I like it, but that's not true. Mm. So you are isolating yourself and saying, oh, I'm an introvert. I like being on my own. Yeah, exactly. So I was isolating myself and limited myself to do things I thought I could do. Yeah, that's really important. And I've worked with many people through Zoom internationally. I have clients all over the world. And we do sessions around how the emotional part of their journey, the social part, how that's impacted their relationships and their work. And something that happens very often, maybe around the second or third session, is that people can become very, very upset and very sad that they hadn't had the opportunity to talk about these things in the past. Or, you know, I wish I'd met you six years ago. I wish we had done this many years ago when I was struggling. I've heard that kind of sentence from a lot of people before, because with clarity, once you understand things, once you feel a little more comfortable with your own story, then there is a moment, usually right after the clarity, that is grieving that you wish you would have known that sooner to help you and avoid so many struggles that could have been. And I really think that's an important step in everybody's journey, that that's valid, that you're allowed to feel that way, no matter where that's coming from. And at the same time to say, hey, I found it now. I have it now and I'm, I can move forward from here. That's why I want <laughs> more people to know about audiology, know how technology can change our hearing journey and know what hearing aids or cochlear implants, what they can do to help us. Yeah. Amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about Orca and your work with this company you founded? Tell us about that. Orca is a hearing aid company. And in 2018, when I was doing my master's program in California, my co-founder Ben found me. He approached me and he wanted to talk about hearing aids and my experiences with hearing loss and cochlear implants. I mean, no one ever wanted to talk about these things with me before. And at that time, Ben was an engineer at Apple. So he purchased this pair of hearing aids for his grandmother. And he realized how expensive these things are. 
and how difficult they are to use. So after a while, his grandmother just stopped using them. So he thought mm, it shouldn't be like this. We could design something that's more user-friendly and more affordable. And he told me about his plan to start a company. So at that moment, I thought, wow, this is fate calling. So I said, I should join you. And he said, yes, that's how we started with Orca. We have products in, in the United States. And here in Shanghai, we have a team close to the manufacturing facility. So you're producing different kinds of hearing aids. How would people get them? Are they direct to consumer or you work with audiology and dispensers? Right now, we're selling directly to consumer. Uh, it's not that we're obsessed with selling exclusively to consumers by ourselves. It's that we want to talk directly with the consumers. So we have their direct feedback. We would understand how they're doing with the products. We want to make sure like they are having the kind of customer service we want them to have. We want to make sure they're not just bought the product and store them in the closet. That's why we are selling directly to the customers now, because I understand how much the handholding process means for the users, especially in interface. Mm. And how do they get programmed, the, the devices? Because right, the process of having a hearing aid programmed appropriately has a lot of software and a lot of fine tuning. So I'm curious if someone gets a hearing aid you know, to their door, how do they then do all of those changes? So our customers can get the hearing aids delivered to the door, but we have in-house audiologists who can program them over the air. So we can do this remotely. We develop getting console so audiologists can program the hearing aids for customers over the air. It doesn't have to happen in person. Got it. Okay, so that's really important to know because I think there's a difference between over-the-counter amplifiers and different things that there's a lot of confusion around what devices are appropriate for different people's hearing loss. So I would always recommend having audiology guidance. So I'm glad to hear that you're doing that remote fitting. That's really, really good. And also very accessible for people who can't reach an audiologist yeah. for whatever yeah. reason. I mean, total support of over-the-counter hearing aids. I think the rule is great because that will welcome more players into the field and definitely accelerate the innovation in this field. But Orca isn't going self-fit just yet because from my own experience, I know like how important the initial onboarding experience are because it's not like glasses. You can just put them on and have clarity to yourself. So at first, our audiologists are there to tell the customers, well, you should start by using the hearings for like four hours a day and then six hours a day. And then what to expect in the first month, what to expect in the second month or in half a year and how your family can be involved in this because oftentimes we're not just dealing with the users. Oftentimes it's wives and husbands. 
we have to get their family to understand about this as well. So yes, we're not going self-fit yet. We don't want them to just buy these products and just store them in the closet and never touch it again. We want to make sure yeah. they're using them. That's right. Or fit them incorrectly and maybe make them too loud to cause more damage or not loud enough so they're not helpful. So very true. Very good. I find the fact that you are involved now in a company that's helping other hard of hearing people to be so inspiring and so wonderful. I wonder if you have advice for any people who are listening or reading the transcript of our podcast in our community of what you expected your future to look like and what you are now seeing is happening with your life. I wouldn't say this is advice, but this is the future I want to see is that, as I mentioned before, I was a passive user along this journey. I wasn't doing much research, but now I think it shouldn't be that hard for people to access all the knowledge, all the solution to themselves, or hearing a purchase could also be a no-brainer in the future. It's like mm -hmm. if I want to buy a smartphone now, I wouldn't have to do all the research. I may just go to Apple and buy the most popular one. I kind of hope with hearing with audiology, people would have this one touch points where they can have all the information they may need. They don't have to push themselves to do anything or exhaust themselves in finding the right solution for them or wait for seven years like I did. They could just have this to them right away. They wouldn't have to do all the work or efforts and just leave that to the professionals, to the hearing care industry. I hear that. We talk a lot about advocacy on this show and it is important to be an advocate, but I really like your vision that we wouldn't need to do so much advocacy. We wouldn't need to push so hard to get the things that would be helpful for ourselves and our kids. That's really a beautiful thought. I'm going to take that on. <laughs> yeah, but it's really what I want. I mean, because yeah, it's definitely my personality. Like I don't want to do the research. Just tell me which one to get. What should I do? And I not to, I just don't want to put in any efforts in it. I mean, I want it to be more like a consumer electronics that I can just buy there and start using them. And there's customer service along the side. So I wouldn't have to put in all that efforts. Yeah. And of course, we have to just make one distinction for the difference for adults and children, <laughs> we'll just put that out there. And people who have complex medical contributions to their hearing loss definitely, definitely need doctor guidance. I'm just going to put that out there. That was just a vision that's not possible now, but right. what we're hoping to achieve in the future. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what you said before, which is that there's the option, that there should be more options, that you can go the medical route, or you can also try something out first and see how it works for you in a more personal way. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about English because you speak more than one language and your language skills are excellent. So I wonder if you can talk a little about how you learned English and maybe even also what language you prefer in your day-to-day -day life. Chinese definitely because I live in China and I can't okay. communicate with people in English here. But I think the one thing about English is that actually, I think 
I started learning English in primary school. So my hearing problem wasn't that bad yet. So I learned some English by them. But after my hearing ability started deteriorating, I relied heavily on reading and relied heavily on the captions. Like when I was watching Friends, I would read the caption. I wasn't really like learning the English in day-to-day life. I was relying mostly on the TV shows, movies with captions on. After I had my cochlear implant surgery, things definitely got easier. And now because my CI have Bluetooth connectivity, so I'm listening to audiobooks all the time. I mean, sometimes when I'm having dinner with my dad and I would just play audiobooks and I could listen to them while, you know, smiling at my dad. But listening to <laughs> audiobooks definitely helped me, not just with my English, I think, and also with my Chinese, because I was speaking Chinese with a strange accent before. It's not like I'm from certain area of China, but like I was just speaking it in a different way. I remember I used to get taxi and the taxi driver would ask me, are you a foreigner? I would say, no, I'm not. And they were skeptical because they think that you sound different. And now looking back, I know, oh, that's because I had hearing problem. So my Chinese sound a little bit different than other people do. But after I had my cochlear implants, um, the audiobooks and podcasts in Chinese and English, they all helped me to have my speaking skills back. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a very common thing, the deaf accent. That is not quite so different, but people do tend to notice it. That's pretty common. So interesting that you're sort of doing your own rehabilitation program with listening to all this. Because I'm an adult after I have my cochlear implants, I didn't know there was rehabilitation program. So just doing it myself. So, but I remember at first I couldn't hear the podcast like 100% clear. So, mm-hmm. but I would just do it every day. And then Gradually, I noticed, wow, I get to understand everything in that. And that's great. So I guess that's how your brain works. You have to adapt to the language. I was just learning both languages again. Mm. And do you know any hearing loss in your family? Anyone else, cousins or other people that have been affected by this? Or do you have any idea of the cause of your hearing loss? Actually, no. I'm the only one. (laughs) I know that's strange. So I guess it's because some kind of I don't know, side effects or some sort of medicines that causes in me, but I have no relatives who ever had hearing problems. I'm only curious about that because many people, they want to know the cause and they want to know if it could be affecting other people in their family. And I'm curious if you ever went down the road to do genetic testing or try and figure it out or if it's not as interesting to you. I had a genetic test before, but that didn't show anything about the hearing loss problem. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea. I mean, at first, I was also obsessed with the cause of hearing loss. My family was obsessed with that. But after a while, you just kind of drop it. Uh-huh. That's something we hear very commonly from parents, especially parents who want to have other children 
and they want to understand where this came from. So what helped do you think to not be so occupied with that question? I guess when you were busy listening to audiobooks, doing your own rehabilitation program and just looking forward, not looking backward, maybe that helps. And, you know, it's the same with therapy sessions, I guess. I did have a lot of therapy sessions only after I had my cochlear implant surgery, because only after the surgery, I realized what I was going through, like how can I stop being obsessing about the things could or could not have done. And that helps. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure about other people, but therapy session definitely helped me. Yes. We are big fans of counseling and getting the help you deserve because when you go through something that's so significant, affects all the parts of your life, your communication and your relationships and your work, that's pretty significant. So getting help with that, I'm really impressed to hear you bring that up. And I hope that more people are encouraged to not have stigma around it, especially when a lot of parents are so concerned with getting their children all of the services and therapies that they need, which is good. But what about the parents? They should also have some help. <laughs> Take your own journey in it seriously as well. Yeah, definitely. So I think the parents, they should not criticize themselves for whatever is happening to the child. Most of the time, it's not their fault. It's not like they want this to happen to their children intentionally. It just happened. Yeah, yeah. it's just nature. Can you talk about maybe your family's reaction to getting a cochlear implant, especially you were in a different country doing things as a student? How did that play out with your family? My family, they're pretty cool about it. I mean, when they, they did not take my hearing loss that seriously before, and they are not taking the cochlear implant thing that seriously now. They never see me as the different child who need extra care. They just thought I was doing good. I don't know. Yeah. These pros and cons to that attitude, the pros are that I never felt because of my problem, I couldn't do anything. They never said, oh, you have human problem. You are not supposed to go to the United States and start in a different country. They just let me go. I mean, because I think if I were my parents, I would be worried, right? But they didn't mm -hmm. worry at all. So I guess that attitude was kind of liberating for me. And when I had my first surgery, my dad was there with me in Columbia University. And I remember this vividly, like he was supposed to be there for me because the first night was kind of crucial. And I remember Thursday night, my dad woke me up and he said, hey, Shinku, uh, I'm going to leave you here for a while because I have to charge my phone outside. And he just left me there and he was playing his phone outside there. That's what my dad's like. And when I had my second surgery, my mom and brother were there for me and they were equally, how do I put it, careless? Like they mm. just didn't take it seriously. I guess maybe I was having the surgery for the second time. I was used to it 
what they said was they were there for me to take care of me. But the truth was they were there and found, okay, Shinke is doing okay. And they just went out for some tourism. I don't know. <laughs> That's what it was like. They just, I don't know, they never take this seriously. Interesting. Yeah, it always has two sides to every experience that you can hopefully feel supported. But even when people are very, very supportive, sometimes that feels like hovering and parents who are so obsessed with what's happening and make that the whole relationship with their child is only about one issue. That's also, you know, too far in the other extreme. So it's interesting to hear that you share an experience, which I think maybe also culturally might have an impact of how this was responded to also that you were older, you were an adult at the time, not a child. So it's very interesting, I think, for people to hear different versions of the quote unquote cochlear implant story, cochlear implant experience, and that every person and every family is going to go through that in their own unique way. Yeah. And I'm not defending my family, but I guess it's because they didn't think this was a serious issue and they didn't think this kind of limit me in any way or affect me that much. So I wasn't scared of hearing loss. I thought it just a thing that happens to me. So because they weren't scared, so I wasn't scared as well. Very interesting. Wow. Thank you so much for being so open and sharing your story. I think it helps a lot of people to hear many different versions of other people's stories, what they can relate to, what's the same, what's different in their family and their life. So I'd like to ask you if you have any specific story or something you learned that you wish more people would know, and now's your chance to tell a couple thousand people. <laughs> I think this thing about my story is that really is the attitude. Because when I tell people about my story, as I said, it's kind of absurd, but sometimes it's that absurdity and that careless that made me through the whole journey. I mean, if I surrounded my whole life with hearing loss, then I would not have gone to the United States for college. I would not have done what I did, but because I didn't care it that much. So that kind of freed me to do what I wanted to do. I think this comes to another question I've been thinking of. We talk also a lot on the podcast about identity and how people take on this banner for themselves that they are deaf or hard of hearing, that they are a cochlear implant user, that that's a big significant part of who they are. I'm wondering if you identify with that or if you feel like it's one aspect of you, part of many, and not so much a big part of like your identity. Sometimes I play the cards of quote, cochlear implants, unquote, to my advantage. I remember there was one time I arrived at the airport super late, like 20 minutes before taking off. And so I just went straight there and told the security staff, I said, oh, I'm hearing disabled and show them my cochlear implants. And they didn't know what to do. So they said, oh, okay, go in. <laughs> and yeah, I'm kind of naughty sometimes in playing that card. And so that identity is sometimes there for me to have fun with. Like I enjoy to be reading everywhere because 
wherever I go, if I want to be reading or if I want to be sleeping, I just take my CI off. Then I have this quiet place all to myself. And maybe when you are sometimes having fun with the fact that I can sleep everywhere on the airplane, in train, when there are kids crying, but you were just there so peacefully. That's good. And that kind of I don't know, plays with your brain in some way. So you would take that identity as something of your own and you are having fun with it. I mean, I'm definitely having fun with my cochlear implants because I have two cats. They're really naughty and really noisy at night, but that doesn't matter me. So I have a really good relationship with them. Yeah, yeah, I could see you focus on the benefits. But do you feel that if you meet other people who use cochlear implants or other people who are deaf, that you have a certain kinship, you know, relationship to that immediately, or that's not something that you would consider connecting over? Actually, we do. I mean, in the past few years, I started to have more friends with hearing loss. And there's something that we share with each other that we can't talk to other people about. So you do feel like, you know, there's a certain connection you have with with other people because you have this shared experience. And I feel like there's this different thing that happens when we try to put our a certain identity onto someone versus when they take that identity on for themselves. That's really where my questions are getting at. I see what you mean. I'm actually I think maybe it's a little bit different here in China. The awareness for hearing loss is super low actually. So when people knew this is another one with hearing loss, they're often thrilled to find out you're just like me. So obviously they want to talk to you about that. And I know a lot of people are stressed about that because they are not finding the right solutions for them or their family is quite stressed or we just have different personalities. So I often just go on and try to persuade them like, "Ah, don't be too stressed about this. Like you can just play with this identity or sometimes try to cheer them up because I know some people might be concerned, like there's this girl who said, if you go to school and the fellow students notice you have hearing aids, what do you say? And I said, okay, I just say it's Bluetooth headpiece or something. It's my earbuds and something like that. Yeah, so um, I guess that's why people really want to talk to other people about this because It's an isolating experience. It's lonely. We are lonely in this world, and especially with hearing loss. And particularly for people at my age, like when we are young, but we already have hearing loss, of course, we want to talk to each other. Yeah. And how did it feel today to share your story and talk about it? Something you don't do very often. How did it go for you? How do you feel? (laughs) It's pretty good. Actually, this is my first time I'm sharing my story in English. So <laughs> yeah, I never did a program on hearing loss before. I mean, you ask great questions. Well, thank you. I'm very interested always to hear not only what happened, but how you felt about it, how it affected you. So I'm really grateful that you shared all of that. And is there any last piece of advice that you would share with our audience or anything else you want to tell us? I would say go seek treatment as soon as possible. Go find solution earlier 
And that's really important because if there's one thing I could change about my hearing journey, that would be to go have my cochlear implant surgery as soon as possible. This is not a medical advice. Sure, sure. But about this idea that if you are experiencing any difficulty or trouble, that you can look for ways to help yourself through that and resources, professionals. So that's great advice. And I'm really grateful to all of our listeners for being part of the All About Audiology community. Come join the Facebook group. We have discussions over there. Follow me on Instagram and on TikTok, All About Audiology podcast. And just the last thing I'm going to tell everybody about, in case you haven't heard, this year we're doing a mindfulness practice where you join our library of weekly audio meditations. They're just five to 10 minutes, very short weekly ways to feel more grounded and more connected. So to learn more about that, go to allaboutaudiology.com slash mindfulness and join us there. Thank you, Shinku, for being on the podcast today. Have a wonderful day. 